Turn with me uh, to the book of Romans. We've been staying in the first chapter so long that I'm thinking some of you are starting to memorize it. That's good. That's good. It's about time. We're going to be focusing on this. Yeah, if you need a Bible, uh, there is. uh, Doug will be passing around. And whether you're young and old, if you're not looking at the Word of God, please uh, raise your hand, and he will bring a Bible to you, and you can open up your own. And if, in fact, uh, you're here as a visitor, and I haven't said this for a while, but if you're here as a visitor and you have a Bible in your hand because you raised your hand, uh, that Bible is yours. You take it home with you if you don't have one. Uh, We want to get the Word of God into people's hands, and so if you don't have your own, uh, please, uh, please see that as a gift from us. Romans 1, as you're opening your Bible up, um, you may be asking yourself, are we at these verses again? Yes, we are. I almost hesitate to move forward for the implications of the verses that sit in front of us. I want you to visualize something. I want you to visualize yourself standing on a, on a slope. And in front of you is, um, is, is a drop-off. And it is uh, completely frozen ice. And if you would step off on that drop-off, there would be no stopping your descent. You would continue to go down that slope to the very bottom. Psalm 73, the psalmist was reflecting on his view of those who live out an evil life. And his life was almost changed by the oppression of the success of evil people. But he said these words, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. That is Romans 24 through the end of the chapter. So we sit on this precipice, on the edge of these slippery slopes, In the verses we look at in 22 and 23 are warnings to not step off. There are warnings saying, this is the path you're on. Stop now before it's too late. It says, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. The slope of God giving man over to his sinful ways is visually seen by the fact that you have in in all of us have started out foolish. Every single one of us. Because we have started out in a sinful nature. And that foolishness wants to lead us to serving a God that is false. 
A God that has no eyes or has eyes, but he cannot see. He has ears, but he cannot hear. He has hands, but he cannot work. He has feet, but he cannot walk. He promises the world to us, but he ends up delivering nothing. And that idolatry leads us into adultery. That we begin a relationship with something that's not real. That's something that is in fantasy. That is something that leads us somewhere that leads us nowhere. A.W. Tozer says that idolatry begins in the mind when we pervert or exchange the idea of God for something other than what he really is. I have talked with dear people this week who have struggled in their hearts with adulterous addictions that has led them into sinful habits and it has skewed their understanding of who God really is. You see, the exchange is not just like an exchange of like taking money out of one bank and putting into another. It's not just an, a physical exchange, but it is an exchange that is relational. It is the exchange of worship of the true God for worship of false gods. And Matthew 10, if you remember, leads us to the fact of why. It's because we have loved something more than God, and that love has led us to the worship of an idol. This moves naturally in the place in, in the way of adultery because we do not see God as our father and Jesus as our husband. The true relationship is the fact that the God of all universe wants to be your daddy. He wants to guide and lead you. But he also wants to be your husband. Now, men, you're going to have to take that in just a bit. But still understand, the one who is your lover, the one who is the one that walks next to you, absolutely committed, and he proved it on the cross that he was committed unto death for you. That is what you're exchanging The truth of this, the truth of this reality is the fact that every human being in every generation of human existence has been called to be the bride of Christ with only one husband. And we've exchanged that. And it's actually, Romans has told us, it's, it's actually the suppression of the truth that every one of you knows. That leads us to the reality that Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. It is our rejection that partners with the sovereign choice of God that creates the chosen few.
as we walk forward into the third and final phrase of this movement from foolishness, we get to the deepest impact, and that is our identity. Our identity. Psalm 115, verse 8 says, Those who make them idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. See, when we talk about idol worship, turning to adultery, we are talking about walking our lives into the realm of identity. Our identity becomes a false reality and broken true intimacy when we look to other gods to fulfill our lives. What is identity? Identity is how a person sees themselves. It is the visualization of who we believe we are, and it becomes foundational of how we live our lives out. You can know yourself by how you've walked in this world. You can know who you really believe you are by the direction that your feet have taken you. So go in your mind. Look at the path. See where you've walked. It'll tell you a lot about you. And it will tell you a lot about how you visualize who you are. Now, you know, is this true? Is what I'm saying to you true? I mean, so, so I want to twist it a little positive on you right now. I want you to go with me in Scripture to a person that was given their identity before they were born. And let's see if it works out. So go with me to Luke 1. Luke 1. We're going to read the 13th through the 17th verse of Luke 1. It's a familiar story. Some of you will go, oh, okay, is this Christmas time? But it's the story about John the Baptist. And so uh, the, 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 the context is that Zechariah and Elizabeth could not have children. They were old. And so Zechariah was, was doing his turn in the temple. And by golly, after 400 years of no contact with God at all, man-made religion ruling the land, an angel shows up in a temple and says to Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's identity. 
that is given to one man, not even born yet. Cool? Do you believe that about your own life? Do you believe that there has been something spoken over your existence before you were even born? I do. I do. I think there's a real reality, a real identity that comes from the creator of the universe over your existence. I believe that with all my heart. And I think if you read this book, you will too. So how did that work out? Let's find out. Go with me uh, to Mark 1. Mark 1, we're going to read 4 through 8. I love to hear those pages turning. I'm turning right with you. Oh, sometimes you got to go backwards to go forward, girl. Okay, so here's Mark 1. Start with the fourth verse. You there with me? And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Don't lose that one. There you go. Lifestyle. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him in the wilderness, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John, what? Wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Identity. Working out. He lived out in a wilderness, not by his choice, but by the choice of the one who called him. His choice of food only came because that's the place, that's the temple that God put him in. And in humility, he lived out his identity of the spirit and the power of Elijah, calling the people back to God, setting them up. What is the identity that is driving your life? And as I said, you can tell by the direction you're moving. The visualization of who you are drives your steps of your life, just as it did John the Baptist. He knew he was. He walked a very hard path, ended with the chopping off of his head because his identity was found in the Lord. So if we go back to Romans 1, and we go back to these passages, what are the identities that are, are open to us? Because we live in a world that says there are many identities. I say there are two. And I believe that they're in this passage. The first one is found in the phrase, the glory of the immortal God. The identity of God. We were originally created in his image and his likeness. It was broken in sin. But it is the identity that the spirit of God through the blood of Jesus Christ wants to draw us back to. The second is the identity of creation. Images made to look like, total, like, like, uh, like human beings 
and birds and animals and reptiles. I want to flip these around. I want to start out with the identity of creation. This has been such a postmodern movement. Started in our, our effect of evolution and how it has de, uh, degraded human living to uh, that equated with creation. And so it is cries out uh, from its uh, presuppositions, there's no God and there's only one identity and that's is what you're going to find around you. Pop psychologists tell you that until you learn to love yourself, you will never be able to love others. So in today's society, we work hard to learn who we are. We, go, we grow in our visualization of humanization, or humanism, and work to develop our self-esteem. This effort produces a self-awareness that becomes a self-protectionism. And that is why when a sinful act is addressed today, you will get the response of a personal attack. You must accept me, for this is who I am. That is a life that has been um, indoctrinated into the creation, um, into creation identity. After last week's message, um, somebody came up to me on Wednesday night and they said, um, I've done a study on something you talked about last week and I want to find, uh, I want to I show you um, some of the findings that I had come up with. VR, or virtual reality, is something that has been developing within our um, society for years. In the 1950s, a guy by the name of Morton Hillog um, wrote something called the Experience Theater in which he uh, produced an on-screen activity. It was called the Sensorama in 1962. Five short films displayed while engaging multiple senses, sight, sound, smell, and touch. It was the beginning of this move of what's called virtual reality today. In the 1980s, uh, it was actually termed uh, virtual reality, and um, uh, it became prominent in the um, field of electronic games. In 2010, Palmer Luckey designed the first prototype, um, and this um, boasted a 90-degree field of vision uh, that had not been seen at this point, and it started to become something that you could attach uh, to your own uh, head, as I have here in front of you. This, are, this is uh, the newest technology, and I want to thank uh, a friend of mine for bringing this in today. By, by 2016, there were at least 230 companies developing VR-related products, including Facebook, um, Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Sony, and Samsung. And these began uh, to grow and to develop. This gentleman who wrote this article is a non-believer. I think it's important for you to say that. But he's been given a vision of what could happen with virtual reality. And these are some things that he found that, um, that he's concerned about. First of all, excessive substitution of virtual life for real life. That a person will become so immersed in virtual reality 
that they will forget there's a real life. And you know, I started to see that in the doc when I was the director. I started to see that when um, I started to ask kids to turn their phones off while I was teaching. And I got angry responses because our generation had come to realize that these phones were power and they were life connection. And that without them, they were losing something more than what was being said in front of them. And so we give up real life for virtual life. Um, the second thing is VR obsession and addiction. So getting lost in actual, in, in, in virtual reality that, that they just become obsessed about virtual. Addicted to movies, addicted to games, addicted to all kinds of things. And of course, that's the third thing, is the spread of pornography. Some gentlemen and I went through a training called The Conquerors. And in that, there is, uh, I think it was uh, Josh McDowell said to us, he said, churches are not talking about this. And you need to talk about this. Parents, you need to understand that the pervasiveness of what's coming up. And he said, it's this thing. When virtual reality begins, makes the switch from animated to real life, Involvement, the brain will not be able to discern between the two. And those addicted will not be able to lock out of the virtual, and they will lose reality. This guy said that, uh, that it will, um, um, yeah, it, he, well, that's the fourth thing he said, that the abuse of, uh, of the sensuous and conscious control. He said this will be one of the strongest brainwashing tools ever known in history. Literally being able to brainwash people into thinking in one way, like Hitler did in Germany, but much more powerful. Also, he says that there's going to be an invasion of per personal data and privacy. Since there's no regulations over top of it, it is going to be used for all kinds of things. And then he talked about the fact that not only the personal data uh, par uh, um, privacy, but also that the information that you put in of yourself that then allows you to become a part of the whole virtual identity will begin to shape your heart and who you are. I could go on and on and on. Um, I am very grateful for this person who gave me this information. I know that some of you are sitting there, maybe some of you techie people that are sitting there going, you know, Wayne, remember, there's some good things that are coming out of this. And I'm, I'm not denying that. But just like the computer and like the phones, we have to be aware of both sides of the story, because if we're not, ourselves and our children are going, to be, are going to be drawn into something that is going to destroy their life. If there's no regulations, if there's no um, understanding of what's going on. Young women whose parents had no idea what was happening on their phones who were drawn into having relationships with men that were older and actually left their home to go and meet and have not been seen again. People of God, we have to be aware of this. You know, it'd be kind of like me 
putting these on. And so I'm just going to keep preaching. And so, oh, whoa. There's like music in my ears. What's going on? And I can't really see my, but I can see kind of the notes in front of me, but not really. Whoa. Oh, there's a handle right there. People of God, you are all, you are all just like faded images in front of my eyes right now. I mean, you're, I can see you. Glenn, I know you're there, but I can't see your face. And, and I'm in a world that I can't touch, but it's in front of me. I, what is that doing there? Get out of my way. I can't keep preaching in the reality of who I am unless I take these off. We can't live the life that God called us to live unless we get out of the identity of this culture and of this creation and begin to take the identity of our Lord. I have to just take these off. I just love you guys too much to sit there. And there was music. It was very melodious. Woo! Thank you for... <laughs> wow! I, yeah. Yes. Please do. Mm -hmm. There is a church that's beginning to use these for their worship. Oh, it's Hillsong? Okay. And again, can, can, it, can it be positive? I mean, you know, well, I, I, I get the fact that, that in my heart breaks too if it means that, that people are going to be separated from each other worshiping the Lord. I think it's something wonderful about sitting in a seat next to your wife Worshiping Jesus, that's beautiful, right? Right, man? Right, right, Joe? Yes, I get to sit with my wife. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're doing baptisms by virtual reality? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's too expensive for tonight. I'll put this over there too because you know how my feet go. I wouldn't want to step on it. Yes, I mean, I just, so I, you know, I, I, I appreciate, I do appreciate the good things that can come out of this because I think that there's some therapy stuff that they're starting to use uh, it for and there's some other things that I think it can be positive. But we know that with COVID too, that, that we're, it seems like there's such a training with students to learn apart from each other and learn, you know, how much of that's going to be a reality in the future. And so this thing is, the, the main point is this. We all, have a, we all have a decision to make. Do we want to live in the real or do we want to live in the false reality and broken, intimate connection? Because that's what you're arguing about is that where's the intimacy in that with each other as a family? That's a great argument, and I'm totally behind you on that. Totally behind you on that. Um, and again, some who can't make it. I just, I just got a text this morning uh, from a friend of mine um, uh, who had a birthday yesterday, and I reached out to him, and he says, yeah, we're in Florida, and because of Zoom, we're going to worship at our church up in Michigan. So I get 
there's some positive things to it, but I think we've got to be very careful. It is, it, is the, it is the real touch of our Heavenly Father and the real touch of each other that, that makes a family. Outside of that, we've got something that's less than. And I think the full gospel is loving God and loving each other. So as we think about identity and we think about creation, there's a very stark word that God uses to describe this. It's the biblical word of prostitution. The biblical word of prostitution. In Exodus 34, 15 through 16, it says, Be very careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Now Paul makes it very clear that when we serve another god, that that idol is nothing. Nothing. But that the worship behind that idol is a worship to demons. A worship to demons. So when we serve creation, we serve other gods. You know, the question that, I, that just hit me is, do I, do I look at horoscopes? Do I play around with tarot cards, occult books? Occult games involving violence? Do I, do I do false religions who do not see Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Drugs, witchcraft, Wicca, horror films, palm reading or psychic readings? Isaiah 8 says this, the 19th verse, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, Should not people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? I think that's a great question. We have a lot of that going on. And even in the church today, we have a syncretism that has crossed over into the Christian church in which they say there's Christian tarot cards. No, there are not. And there's a syncretism that's happening. We're accepting the idolatry of the world into Worship of the Lord, and it is false. So what's so devastating about this? What's so devastating about receiving the identity from creation? First of all, it is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. There's two books in the Bible that if you want to do more study on this, read them. One is Hosea. Hosea is the book about God calling Hosea to marry a prostitute. So for the, full, for the sole possession or for the sole reason of showing the people of Israel they've been prostituting themselves to other gods. And so as you see this prophet in front of you married to a prostitute and y'all know it, that's how you've treated me. But then also Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16 and 23, two chapters. Read them. They're amazing. Amazingly hard to read. Because I realize that I myself have done the same. And I'm only going to be able to touch on them, but if you do a further study, you'll, you'll realize that the call of God's heart as, 
as husband and as father is for his people to come back to stop being a prostitute and worshiping other gods. So the first problem with it is it's a spiritual issue. You can hear a book about um, uh, next week that I've been reading by Julie Slattery. It's called um, uh, Redefining Sexuality. And it's a book about the fact that we have been discipled by the world. And that the sexual actions of our, of our world is, is not the prime issue. The prime issue is our relationship with God. And that even, she said, even, and I'll say this again next week, but even the purity movements that have been out there have really been working from the wrong presupposition. They tell you not to have sex outside of marriage, but they don't tell you why. They don't tell you why. And even Josh, Joshua Harrison, who wrote, I Kissed Gay Dating Goodbye, figured that out, and unfortunately he took it the wrong way. Not only did he get a book off the shelf, but he no longer claims Christ as his Lord, which is so sad, which is so sad. And so it's a spiritual issue. Hosea 4.12 says, My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray, and they are unfaithful to their God. The spiritual act of worshiping the creation over the creator is primarily a spiritual issue. In fact, um, Hosea 5 uh, says this. I'll just read it for you quickly. Um, Hosea 5, uh, the fourth, um, fourth verse says this. It says, I know all about Ephraim, the third verse says. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds, listen to this, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. It's a spiritual issue. If I were to talk to you today and you've, you've come, you're coming to realize that you have been living your life worshiping the wrong God by the actions that you're living out, I can tell you one thing, and I've, I've, I've asked the same question to people over and over again. How's your time been in God's word? How's, been your, t- how's your time been on your knees? And 100% of the time, yeah, I haven't done it. That's right. That's right. Because the word of God will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from the word of God. 100% guaranteed. And so, it's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Thanks, buddy, for picking up my trash. (laughs) Second, it's a cheapening of human life. It's a cheapening of human life. Why don't you go there with me? Ezekiel. Like I said, uh, the 16th or the 23rd chapters are good. We're going to go to Ezekiel 16. So go with me. Go with me. Ezekiel 16th. The 16th chapter. We're going to start with the 20th verse.
so Ezekiel, you know the backdrop to this, right? He, the, the people have been taken captive. They're sitting um, uh, next to a river in Babylon, held captive. Ezekiel is their prophet, and he is preparing them because God said 70 years they'll be in captivity, and then they will come back. And so Ezekiel is kind of like the pastor put in place to prepare them to go back. And so the 20th verse says this, and, they, and you took your sons and daughters whom you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to the idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. In your detestable practices and in your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. Now, that last phrase is an interesting phrase because it's really referring to the fact that God himself chose Israel to be his people, not because of their great numbers or because they were a great nation, but because he chose them. And he took them out of the world. And he uses the picture of the fact that they were born. And uh, if you remember from a few weeks ago, that they were out in, um, out in the field just to, to, to die under exposure. And he, the father, came, washed them up, cut their umbilical cord, and brought them into his own and walked with them. And you know what? Some of you got that same story. Don't you? God found you out in the field, discarded by your parents and by the world. And he cleans you up, and he has washed you, and you are walking with me. Isn't that awesome? But in this passage, it is the cheapening of life that is the other problem. When we, do not, when we serve creation, all of a sudden, life becomes nothing. And so abortion, absolutely. A world that's serving creation, Absolutely, we kill children because they, their worth is no more than the dust of the earth. And so it's a spiritual issue and it is a cheapening of life issue. Life becomes cheap when we forget the true God. And then finally, it cheapens human purpose. Stay in Ezekiel 16, which I didn't do. And go to the uh, 32nd through the 34th verse. Ezekiel, 32nd verse through the 34th verse. It says, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. All prostitutes receive gifts, but you give gifts to all your lovers bribing them to come to you from everywhere for your illicit favors. So in your prostitution, you are the opposite of others. No one runs after you for your favors. You are the very opposite, for you give payment, and none is given to you. It cheapens human purpose. All of a sudden, the very beauty that you were created for is used for the illicitness of you serving your idol. I said to you earlier, do you really believe that before the foundations of the earth were created, you had a purpose spoken over your being? 
or at that point, not your existence yet, but the very thought of your existence. That's incredible to think about. It's awesome. And yet, how many of us are living under the idolatry of this creation, a life that is not living the purpose that you were called? Because you're serving the wrong God. And guess what? Your God has, what? What, God, what has your God done? It's tried to separate your relationship, right? Your God has even got you arrested. Your God has done everything to destroy your life. This God of creation. This, excuse me. This God uh, of, yes, um, of the creation, not the God of creation. Now, I got, a, I got an illustration for you um, that I hope that uh, will be um, just something you can visualize. You know, this little bridge that I've built, you guys weren't here, but I, I built this. I'm kind of proud of it. Kind of proud of it. This is a picture of Romans. It's a picture of Romans. And it is, um, it was created, so I know there's a creator. It points to a creator. Um, it was made out of old discarded pallets. Um, and just kind of like our lives in this world, kind of like our lives could be thrown away. It's not perfect. It has flaws, just like me. And it is a picture of the gospel of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all punched our daily time clocks, earning our way to hell. What Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago was awesome substitution for your and my sin, the greatest act of mercy in all of universe. By believing and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a human can be born again. He can be born anew, a new creation, transformed the old sinful nature into a growing new creation. And Christ's love motivates us to say no to sin and yes to God's will. We no longer live, desire to live for ourselves. We desire to live for him and him alone. Now, here's where the illustration comes in. What if the Mackinac Bridge comes to the pier today. And as it comes here, represented by a persona, it looks at this bridge and says, you are worthless and meaningless. You will never, you, will, you, you, will, you, you do not look as beautiful as I do. You will never take cars five miles across an expanse of Lake Huron and deposit them into you, in, the, in, in, in the UP you cannot carry tons of weight. In fact, if Pastor Wayne eats more, you may not be able to carry his weight. You are worthless. You'll never bring income into Michigan. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the worth of this bridge changed because the Mackinac Bridge said you are worthless? Somebody tell me what the, represent, what the representation of this bridge could do in front of our eyes. And I'm not saying, I mean, obviously it's a representation, so let's not get caught up in, in logistics here. But what could happen if people get the picture of this bridge? Changes everything. A life transformed from dead to alive. From living in lostness to being found to living 
in false reality and broken from relationships to on the road to beginning to build relationships back. If you get this picture, it can change everything. And the Mackinac Bridge can never do that. People. If the rich young ruler would have got that, as he walked up to Jesus Christ and said, what must I do to earn eternal life? Jesus said, obey the rules. He said, I have all of them, at least half of them. And Jesus said, you just one thing. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And he walked away because he was caught in the virtual reality of his money. Where are you? Where am I? So if it's true that our foolish thinking leads us to the idolatry of worshiping false gods and lead us to committing adultery against God of the universe, causing our lives to have the identity of prostitution. What's the remedy? We're on the slope, people of God. Some of us are. Some of us are on the slope. And the next step will lead you all the way down. Isaiah, talking to a people, pleading with them to stop the direction they were going because he and Jeremiah were trying to turn the Israelites around from the destruction of Babylon coming. Says in the 40th chapter, the 26th verse, he says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and might, mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Francis Bacon said this, Knowledge alone is not power. Knowledge has value only in the hands of someone who has the ability to think well. Isaiah was redirecting the people from looking into the face of the idols and looking to what? To that which was created that pointed to the creator. Oswald Chambers says, Isaiah, he made them begin to use their power to think and to visualize correctly. The real test of spiritual focus is being able to bring your mind and thoughts under control. The power of visualization is what God gives a saint so he can go beyond himself and be firmly placed into relationships he never before experienced. So learning to worship the true creator through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is really transforming of putting down your identity of prostitution with every single one of us have been born into and see through faith in Jesus Christ your new position 
as a child of God. That is what's changed my life. That I have been adopted twice. First by my heavenly father and then by my earthly parents. And by those two adoptions, I get to see the true identity that God called out in my life before I was born. So the question that I have for you as we close this time together is this. Can you see God as your father who loves you through the image of his son? 1 John 3, 1 through 2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we will know that when Christ appears, we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Your, picture, your life is to be a picture of Jesus Christ on earth. And as you walk in this life, that picture will find its fulfillment when you see Jesus Christ face to face. And we are going to. We are going to. So can you see God as your father? Can you see him as your husband? Ephesians 5 is the greatest picture of this, I think, in Scripture. Ephesians 5 is the picture of a wife and a husband coming together. But if you notice in verse 21, it says, Submit yourself to each other out of reverence for Christ. It is realizing your place in Christ that then becomes the foundation for marriage to the Father and marriage to each other. And then it becomes easy. I'm not going to read through all of this, but then it becomes easy for wives to submit to your husbands because your picture is not about the earthly. It's about the heavenly. And you're submitting to the heavenly Father. And so as you submit to your husbands, you get the opportunity to submit to God. Whether your husbands are jerks or not. It's not the point. The point is you get to live out your faith. In fact, Peter would go on and say that's exactly how the Old Testament women showed their faith. Was that they were quiet and gentle spirit. And that they... They, they submitted to their husbands as unto the Lord. And they didn't give in to fear because that's why you don't submit. Because you give in to fear. And he used Sarah as an example. And I always think to myself, people don't think about that. Abraham put her in a, in a harem of Pharaoh. The most dangerous place on the face of the earth. He was a jerk. And yet she submitted. And God honored it. And then it says that men, husbands, should love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that it's men, it's self-sacrifice. It's giving up your rights, your direction, your everything to be the husband that God called, called you to be to this woman. So that you, as Christ is in our life, you make her radiant. You help her to get all the stains out of her clothes. You help her to be the beautiful, radiant woman God called her to be. And then he says at the end of this, 
that this is a picture of Christ and the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a profound mystery. For I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Is, can you see God as your husband? Can you see God as your father? And there's only one reality of that truth of why you'd even be able to, and that is in 2 Corinthians 1, the 21st verse, it says now, it is God who makes both of us, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It is God himself who is the one who puts us in this place. If, if that's not true for you today, and if God has spoken to you today and you realize you've been prostituting yourself before and idle, you have run in fear because uh, what looked on earth was, was not going the direction you did and you, you went to your idol instead of God himself. Today is a great day to repent. Today is a great day to say, I now see it. Remember, it's about visualization. Take those goggles off. Stop living in virtual reality. You are on the edge of the slope. And another step may be the slide away from God for all eternity. Do not let your heart be hardened today. But let God move. And I don't care if you've been in church all your life or if this is the first time you've walked in church. It doesn't matter. It is amazing to me how quickly my eyes can be drawn to the idols of this world and to find comfort in other things than the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants us to hear him again in Colossians 3 say to us, See then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ who is your life. When he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Identity. Who do you see yourself as? Look at your life. What is it you're pursuing? What is it that draws your sight of your soul on a daily basis? Is it God himself? Or is it the things of the world? Foolishness leads us into idolatry, which leads us into adultery, which leads our life into a prostitution of giving ourselves to somebody that's not committed. And there's only one who is totally committed to you. And he showed it on the cross. Who are you following? Today, somebody 
needs to hear that. Somebody needs to step back from that slope and say, Jesus Christ, you are the way, the truth, and the life. I get it. I've been living a life of adultery, and it's time for me to turn around. Is that you? Next week, we go into God giving them over to their sins. I don't want to go there. No, no, you don't get it. Because I know that some of you are going to walk out of here and be unaffected by that word. And it scares me. Stand with me as we pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we, uh, we just come in your presence today. And as I am just reflecting on these words that have been so hard for me uh, to uh, Uh, to just really encompass. And Lord, I I saw inside uh, people just a struggle. Uh, There's some who want to take me to theological places. There's some who um, are questioning things. But Lord, I just, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit is moving in this place in a way that, uh, Father, you uh, can be seen. And that's the most important thing to me. Father, uh, this all makes sense to me. I, I saw it in my own life. I saw it in how I was living my life. And I am so glad that you took this prostitute and that you set me away from that edge and that you said, no, 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 no. This is not what I have for you. And so, Father in heaven, I just pray for each and every person in this room that, Lord, you'll just let them visualize in their own soul right now things where they've come to realize that they have, um, that have been idols in their life. And they could have gone to church all their life or they could gone, this, this could be the first time they've walked into a, a place of worship. And I just pray that, Father, that, that you will just allow them to see, to see what's been going on. And it is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the blood to set them free. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not be entangled by sin again. Lord, we love you, and we trust you for these words, that they'll penetrate our souls. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.